want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. Uh, I am, of course, Nick Baumgartner, along with Austin Meek here in Ann Arbor. It is signing day today, technically, Austin, but uh, not not the original signing day. This just feels different and not what we're maybe used to years ago. Yeah, no, uh, that first Wednesday in February used to be the day right. uh, that everybody was talking recruiting, and it's really now it's become an afterthought. I mean, I think some schools uh, maybe made a bigger deal out of it than Michigan did, but as far as I can tell... Michigan's whole class was signed uh, in in December. Uh, there's yeah, yeah, they yeah. haven't announced any signings. Uh, nobody we're really waiting on. So uh, yeah, National Signing Day really has become kind of a blip on the radar. Yeah, I mean, if there is more coming, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I think they still have some time for that to happen. Um, but you know, I mean, they yeah, they locked up everybody they wanted to lock up. I think for the most part. Um, yeah, it's like I mean that's one of those things where I think the the signing period actually goes for a couple of days, so maybe there's a maybe there's a few days they can do it. But the bigger news in the state yesterday was not recruiting or Michigan related at all, but kind of like on the outside of Michigan is Mark D'Antonio retired from Michigan State. Were you uh, were you sitting down, Austin, when you saw the the, the <laughs> I'm uh, trying the to news? remember how I found out. I think I think Colton put something in the uh, in the Slack channel. Yeah. Uh, and that's how I found out. And yes, that was uh, that was a surprise. What? Uh, where were you at when you found out? And what was your uh, surprise level on that well, one coming out? I, I was uh, having lunch, but someone had said something to me earlier in the day that something weird was going on. And honestly, I like it was kind of strange because uh, I've been through a few of these now, as I know you have as well. These coaching searches and changes and everything. Um, and this was like the least surprised I think I've ever been. <laughs> I've ever been because <laughs> I just didn't see any way that this that this continue. I mean, I, I mean that's a longer conversation for probably another podcast. But I was not stunned. It just seemed like this was there was no other way given everything else that was going on around it. Uh, so I wasn't like like whoa, you know. But I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess this is you know, finally happening. So I better get in the car, and that's kind of what I did. So that's what <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. But we did yeah. think we t- we take some time today to talk about maybe that impact because uh, it does impact Michigan, of course. Michigan's one of their biggest rivals is Michigan State, um, and D'Antonio's legacy as a coach who, you know, had some uh, some serious success uh, against uh, Michigan over the years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where you start from the Michigan perspective is that even though you know, just in the last couple of years maybe mm-hmm. uh, the momentum in the in the rivalry had swung. I mean, a huge part of Mark D'Antonio building Michigan State to the point that that he built it to was the ability right. to compete with Michigan and and to beat Michigan. And when Michigan was down, Mark D'Antonio took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Michigan State had the upper hand in in the rivalry for a while. Uh, and then things sort of flipped at the end. And now I, you know I'm curious from the perspective of of the Michigan fan because, you know, man, there were some years in there where I'm sure Michigan fans. We're not looking forward to playing Mark D'Antonio in no. Michigan State. That was not a team you wanted yeah. to play. Recently, you kind of like the fact, if you're a Michigan fan, uh, that Michigan State was struggling and didn't seem to have a good 
roadmap to to get back to the level that they'd been at. Uh, so in some ways, Michigan fans might be a little bit sad to see Mark D'Antonio go, given the yeah, state of that program. I don't know. <laughs> it's always funny how these things work out when somebody stays somewhere for that long, the the ups and downs or whatever. But you're right, because like from 2000, I would say, I would say 2010 or maybe 2011 through probably 2015, uh, but at least through 2014, the very beginning of the decade, like Michigan State was, I mean, I mean, Michigan, I think, wanted no part. I mean, that was just, they were on a different level. They were competing at a different level. They were better. Uh, the program was stronger. They had uh, better player development. Uh, they were doing more with less. They were finding, you know, talent in areas where other people, you know, maybe weren't looking or were overlooking, I should say. Uh, and Michigan was at the same time, you know, just a mess. And there was so much talk, you know, I first started covering Michigan in 2011, and there was always talk, you know, Michigan, Ohio State. There was so much talk about Michigan, Ohio State, and how important that was for Brady Hope to get them back on track. And of course, you think back to then, and, and it wasn't, you know, that, it was a losing skid, but it, nothing like this, you know, with the Michigan, Ohio State. It was still very much. You know, it was bad, but it was like people were still in that cycle of like, well, you know, this is cyclical. It'll go back around Michigan's way at some point. But anyway, people focused so much on that, and it was like, okay, but what about Michigan State? Because they keep just kicking Michigan's ass. I mean, it was just – I mean, they were uh, – yeah, to, to say that Michigan fans were not excited probably to watch a Michigan-Michigan State game at that time would probably be an understatement. I think I would say in 2013 and 2014, um, most Michigan fans would have probably rather been anywhere but – uh, in front of a TV set or in East Lansing, because those were two just brutal beatdowns. The the, the 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 probably the peak points anyway in this rivalry for Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio. Uh, but like you said, Austin, I mean Jim Harbaugh getting hired in in 2015 resulted in you know obviously Brady Hoke had been fired, and a lot of people would point to you know a lot of reasons why Brady got fired. Um, you know from you know whatever you want to say, whatever happened toward the end or. Uh, his his record or inability to, you know, beat Ohio State in the last three chances he had against them, um, but really to me it was they were getting embarrassed by Michigan State way too much, and that was something that people just could not deal with. And no matter what, <laughs> that was that was going to be the end for Brady. Ho. I mean, when he got blown out in 2013, that was probably it, and he had one more year to go. But I mean, like that's that's how big of a deal. I think that was, and you know, now to see him gone. I mean, D'Antonio won what seven of eight in this rivalry, which hasn't really happened. I mean, I think in the fifties or sixties, Michigan State was that competitive, but it had been all Michigan for so many years. And part of the reason why Jim Harbaugh was brought to Michigan was to, you know, turn that around, which you know he talked about with pretty good pride this year that they have that everybody in their locker room now has the winning record. So it's weird, right? Because it's flipped back. And now if you're Michigan, you'd say, well, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if he'd have stuck around because, <laughs> you know, it depends on what they do here. But, you know, Michigan State, you know, their biggest problem the last few years has been their inability to recruit real talent. Uh, that could change. I mean, that's not that's not, uh, that's not out of the realm of possibility of flipping back around. So it's, it's interesting to see how uh, maybe this shakes out and how Michigan people maybe react to it. Yeah, I, I think that leads into the question of is is there a coach out there who scares you if you're a Michigan fan 
that Michigan State has has a chance to hire. It, you know, does Luke Fickle scare you if you're right. a, a Michigan fan, or are you thinking that if if Luke Fickle comes here, that all of a sudden you know he's going to make Michigan State a, a player for a lot of the recruits that mm-hmm. maybe weren't looking at Michigan State that were going to Michigan or or Ohio State yeah. or Penn State. Uh, I don't know, what, what do you think about that? Is, is Luke Fickle you know, candidate number one, sort of the top line guy that they're going to go after. And, and what do you think that would mean for this series? Yeah, I think he's at the top of the list, of course. And I, I'm not alone in that. I think that's been pretty much prevailing wisdom here for the last day and a half. Um, but no, I, I don't think he would necessarily scare Michigan people. But I would say that the the objective Michigan fan would probably tell you, you know, the educated objective Michigan fan that really knows the situation would probably tell you that they'd rather have someone else than Luke Fickle. Because I think that... <laughs> If you look at Luke Fickle, um, he is he checks off probably every box that they would want to check off in a candidate. Uh, not you know, especially in up to the fact that he does not like Michigan um, at all. He's an Ohio guy that coached <laughs> at Ohio State uh, for a long time. Was obviously the interim coach at Ohio State the last time Michigan actually beat them. So he does not like Michigan at all. No one in his family likes Michigan. Uh, that is sort of in you know uh, beaten into him or whatever you want to say over the years. So that's number one. Number two, then would be that he's an outstanding recruiter in the state of Ohio, and it's so ridiculous how this all works out. But part of the reason D'Antonio and Luke Fickle are friends; they've been friends for a long time. But part of the reason why Mark D'Antonio's team—not the whole reason—but part of the reason why Mark D'Antonio's program started to suffer was because Luke Fickle was at Cincinnati taking all the players from the state of Ohio, not all, but a, but, but a good handful are getting involved with and making life more difficult on Michigan State, you know, as D'Antonio sort of built that program with kids from Ohio that maybe were under-recruited or not looked at, you know, as much as they could have been. Fickle shows up, and much like Mark Stoops at Kentucky, starts taking some of those kids for himself, which means there's less for Michigan State, which means the roster is going to go down. And so... You know, when I look at it from that standpoint, you know, Fickle's had three pretty good years at Cincinnati. He's pretty well respected. Um, he's got a lot of energy. He's like Mark D'Antonio in ways that are probably a positive and, and maybe not like Mark D'Antonio in ways that might be a positive. So if you are a Michigan fan, I I think I would say maybe you rather it would be like Pat Shermer or somebody from the NFL uh, because Fickle, it just seems like Fickle would be the easiest answer and the most obvious answer and the guy that probably would have the best chance to get them maybe not back to the playoff, but get them back to a situation where they're not getting beat 44 to 10, you know, in Ann Arbor. And that's, that's kind of job number one, I would think at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the best thing that the next Michigan state coach could do, uh, and frankly, probably the thing that was not going to happen as long as Mark D'Antonio was there. Number one, modernize the offense, yeah. you know, do something similar to what Jim Harbaugh did when he hired Josh Gaddis, and that is bring in somebody uh, to run the offense, uh, get away from maybe some of the more stubborn ideas about how right. you think football should be played, and get a little more up to speed with how the, the best teams in college football are playing offensively. Uh, that's probably the number one thing that, that could happen to make Michigan State more competitive. Uh, and the number two thing is is to get better players, you know, yeah. and, and that was the other thing that, you know, you didn't really feel like was going to change as long as Mark D'Antonio 
was there. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, the rankings right now. Michigan State's number 43 in the 2020 right. class. Yeah. Um, no four stars. Uh, all three star players. Uh, you know, you can find some. You can find some good players that way. Good Big Ten football players. Uh, but it's it's really hard to to win a division uh, when you're competing against Ohio State and and Michigan. Right. Uh, unless you're recruiting at a, a higher level than that. And so, if somebody like Luke Fickle uh, comes in there and changes around the offense a little bit and you know, takes Michigan State up a notch in recruiting. Um, I don't know that that necessarily you know, puts them on equal footing with Michigan because Michigan's got, you know, for whatever shortcomings Michigan mm-hmm. has, which we have documented in, in right. great deal, yeah. detail on this podcast, uh, Michigan's still got some things going pretty well. Uh, and I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, did D'Antonio say uh, at, his, at his press conference that basically he thought it needed to be like a three-year plan for whoever came in. Uh, that that it you know was going to basically take that long to kind of get it get it back to where it needed to be. I don't know if he said it in those exact words, but I mean it was a lot of like long haul. You know he would he would you know, they would prefer someone who was going to be there for some time because you know he didn't have to say it. I mean I don't know if I would say it's a th- it's necessarily a three-year you know, thing, maybe, maybe it is now because of the timing just being terrible and the fact that they're going to go through attrition and everything else that comes with the coaching change. Um, but, you know, they are absolutely looking at, you know, the whatever version of a rebuild we want to call it in college football. Like, I, I don't think it's cratered to the point of, you know, it's obviously not cratered to the point of like Rutgers or, you know, if it's Maryland or something like that in terms of, you know, player you know, ability to bring players in here and then what you have on the roster. Michigan State does have a few nice pieces um, still on the roster, but not not anything close um, that was going to get them to, you know, being on the level with, like, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin. I mean, and they're they're below all those teams. Uh, you, I, They were below Indiana. They beat Indiana last year, but, I mean, they are right on the line with Indiana in terms of, you know, I'm not sure if I wouldn't have taken Indiana's roster, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that's kind of where, you know, the program is. Um, And the different thing about Michigan State is that it'll take someone longer probably, or if it will happen at all, to get them back to a level where they're winning 10 or 11 or 13 or whatever D'Antonio was doing, crazy numbers like that. It would take a long time for that to happen no matter what. But it, in theory, wouldn't take forever to get – a coach in here that can close that 34 point loss gap to Michigan and get them competitive with them again and then see what happens. You know what I mean? Like just who knows, maybe every five years you're competing for a big Tennessee title. The, the demand for, you know, victories and seasons that like perfect seasons and things that just are so ridiculous and impossible. That's not the fan base doesn't demand that of Michigan State football the way that it does in a certain place that we maybe know Austin are familiar with a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> well, and it, it is good perspective to keep in yeah. mind that uh, you know it's not like Michigan State has been two and ten the last two years. I mean, I, I think it's just all of the stuff that has happened with that program and with Mark D'Antonio on the field, off the field, uh, the frustration with you know, the the lack of. Um, right. changes with the coaching staff and stuff, I, I think maybe has added to this just feeling that they were just stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, you know, they've won some games the last couple of years. The, the next coach isn't c- 
coming in there and just you know having to completely start from scratch. I I think the timing aspect of it will be will be interesting because obviously you know, the first week of February is not really the typical time right. that a program would be out there trying to hire a head coach. Uh, and look, if if Luke Fickle's the guy they want, and if Luke Fickle wants the job, then the timing isn't a factor. It doesn't matter if if no. they get the guy they want, then you know, it doesn't matter that Mark D'Antonio. D'Antonio stepped away now and not in in December, uh, but if they don't get whoever their first choice is, yep. uh, and they have to go down the list, that's where I think the timing aspect yep. of it gets interesting, uh, because it's not like you just have your pick at, at this time of the year. It's like no. you know, it's got to be somebody who really wants the job, uh, and if it's a situation where they they're striking out and they have to stick with uh, Mike Tressel's the interim, is that right? Yes, he's the interim, which, you know, I mean, he's not the interim. I think he's actually the acting head coach, which yeah. basically means so somebody needs to be there to make sure the building doesn't fall down, you know? Like yeah, kind of right. <laughs> so if it's a situation where they're just, they're striking out and they have to say, okay, we're going to, you know, give somebody a one-year audition and then basically try again next cycle, that's where the timing element of it could be really damaging yeah. because now you're not just talking about, you know, maybe one recruiting class uh, that you lose, but potentially two. Uh, and then you're really kind of behind the eight ball. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, the, the factors here, including that retention bonus, which has been oh, well yeah. uh, documented, if if all of those things kind of come together to, to make this timing a big, uh, a big issue for Michigan State. Yeah, I think that you're right, because in some ways they're kind of fortunate that Fickle's just sort of sitting there, because um, he would, I mean, Luke Fickle's the number one obvious candidate. I mean, I don't know if it'll end up being work working out or whatever, but he's number one. I mean, he's the he has to be, uh, I think it's been expressed within circles uh, that are as high as they can go at Michigan State that Luke Fickle uh, is at the top of that list and needs to be at the top of that list. So in some ways, they were probably able to operate over the last several weeks uh, maybe even, uh, or maybe longer, with the, with the idea that it was either very possible or maybe even certain that D'Antonio was going to do this uh, and that they maybe knew the whole time, well, at least we have Fickle sitting there and in theory, you close that fast, you can be done with it. But to your point, Austin, if they miss on that uh, and don't have another you know locked-in person right away behind them, like if we're sitting here next Tuesday or Wednesday and they don't have a head coach... They're in trouble. I mean, they're 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 in trouble. You know what I mean? Because at that point, it becomes, you know, you have to get something squared away to make sure that um, roster turnover doesn't get completely out of control, which would bomb the whole you know process back another year. Uh, and spring practice, um, you know, that first spring is always tough for a brand new coach, but you don't want to just waste it. And I gotta say, a coach coming in, I don't know what their exact date is to start spring ball, but it's February fifth as we're talking today. I mean, a month away, probably. <laughs> like, I mean, a new coach is going to need at least that much time to learn and remember the names of the <laughs> players on his team, let alone yeah. have an understanding of who in the hell he's got to work with. So that's really what we talk about, I think, when we talk about the timing, because you're putting someone in a situation where, you know, it's already going to take a lot of work, but you want to get it done. As, you want to have as much time as possible beforehand and just not having any previous time prior to getting out there in spring and working with them maybe maybe it's not a big deal but I, you know it's seems like a big deal to me and uh 
you know, that's where that can really become an issue. Like if they get this thing wrapped up over the weekend on Monday or something like that, I, I think they, they could be okay. But if you if you linger any longer into a serious length beyond that, then, yeah, it starts to get uh, a little dicey. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a Michigan podcast. It uh, is. We, uh, we uh, got some good uh, conversation there about Michigan State. But uh, it is a Michigan podcast. Uh, it is uh, signing day today. Yep. Uh, as we mentioned at the top, a pretty, a pretty low-key signing day uh, for, for Michigan since their class was pretty much signed and sealed in December. I did want to touch on uh, – you, you did a couple pieces earlier in the week mm-hmm. looking back – uh, at the last uh, the last three or four recruiting cycles for both Michigan and Michigan State mm-hmm. uh, to see uh, how those how those classes look now that the players have had a chance to you know develop and be on campus for a couple years what uh, what did you take away from it looking back at those last few classes for uh, for Michigan and how they've panned out yeah so I think that my working theory for a long time now has been that the 2016 class that they signed was was outstanding and I think that it remains as such. It wasn't ranked as high as that 2017 class, but when we go back and look at you know the top five that I wrote down there, Devin Bush, Ben Bredesen, Rashawn Gary, David Long, and then I put Josh Uche at five. Those are all NFL players. All those guys are going to be in the in the NFL. There's more players in that class that are going to have a chance. Like Nick Eubanks is still part of that class, uh, technically. Sean McCune part of that class. Uh, you know Mike and Wayne U. Um, Josh Metellus, you know, all those guys that went to the Senior Bowl, guys are, uh, Kalik Hudson, an outstanding class and a true, you know, sort of, they really did capture the um, brand new, Harbaugh just got hired, uh, you know, all this excitement. And I thought, you know, they had some misses in there, but for the most part, you know, they hit it almost, they hit it almost 60%, uh, which, you know, basically you you look around and you see, okay, four years later, you know, what's a good number on that, the hit rate or whatever. What's a good number? What's a bad number? And I think I think it probably depends on who you are, but like I think if you're over like fifty percent, if on a twenty person class, and if you got ten players who are like starters or playing serious reps for you, I think that's pretty good. They got sixty percent out of that twenty six person class. Fifteen guys is what I wrote. Down. I mean, I think that's that's a real positive. But the problem really now going forward was twenty seventeen was supposed to be better and. Uh, it was not, and I think that that's you know, I got nine of thirty uh, on the hit rate number there, and then sixteen early departures uh, out of thirty, fourteen of which just transferred. And I'm not counting graduate transfers or any of that. I'm counting just guys who left before they finished their mm-hmm. third season. It's a ton of attrition, um, and you go down the list, and there's just a lot of guys that are you're still that we're still waiting to see. You know, Luigi Villain, Chuck Filiaga, Dylan McCaffrey. You know, we're still waiting to see if these guys, even like an Andrew Stuber to a degree, all four of those guys could turn into producers. But this is, they've gone three full years now, and there just hasn't been a, enough out of that one. And, um, you know, I think that's been, that was probably the biggest thing I think I knew that going in. But also, the 2018 class, which was panned at the time, might end up being, you know, we'll see. But it might end up being better or at least as good as the 20. 2017 group yeah well and so we can segue into the 2020 class and obviously you know it's it's really tough to project and predict uh what guys will be two or three years down the road but uh just kind of looking at the overview of it how do you see that 2020 class relative to you know those others that that 
you broke down is it at, at the same level uh, yeah. you know does it does it resemble any of those previous four in particular you know it, re- it resembles uh, the 2019 class probably more than anything else it's not as athletic or fast uh, I don't think or as explosive as 16 or 17 or 17 was supposed to be but 16 had a lot of guys who could run and I this class has a number of guys who can who are you know, athletic, of course, um, but I'm not sure that it's just totally loaded with guys who I would say are, you know, like, you know, whoa, he's going to walk in here and immediately. Like A.J. Henning, yeah, got, he's one of those guys. But they've got some other guys in other areas that, you know, maybe it's going to take a little bit more work. It's more of a developmental class. But it's so interesting because, you know, and you wrote about it today uh, with the fit score thing. Um, you know, we look at attrition, <clears throat> 16 of 30 in 2017 – uh, which is not great, uh, even though it's one more extra year. But then you look at 2018, and there's only uh, two that have left. And, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, I think it's around the time where, you know, coincidentally, they were struggling to land, you know, top 30, 40, 50 players like that in 2018, 2019, 2020. But they've also at the same time tried to make it a point of saying, we need to be better at, you know, identifying who fits here, who doesn't. And what that even means. So, a lot of times attrition just comes from a guy who just doesn't doesn't fit. I mean, it's just not a fit. And a lot of times you could probably would have been able to guess that when they were in high school, you know. So I think as Harbaugh as time evolved and they were able to get more of a idea of what they wanted um, in terms of a fit personality wise, it seems like it's it's working out better um, at least in these last two classes. We'll see if that holds up. But I mean, they had some serious attrition issues there and. You know, I mean, everybody goes through them, but at the same time, you know, losing that many guys, losing a third of your class by the end of, or half your class, whatever it is, by the end of the second or third year, I mean, that's impossible. You can't do that. So uh, I wonder if that uh, has a positive impact on it going forward. Yeah, and I think that was, that was the idea behind the, the concept of the fit score. And I forget if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but mm-hmm. uh, the first time we heard about that was at the coaching clinic a few weeks ago when, when Jim Harbaugh was talking to the high school coaches about the way that Michigan evaluates recruits. Uh, and, and it's a pretty detailed uh, metric in terms of you know, different categories beyond the film mm-hmm. uh, that, that the coaches look at. And there's a bunch of different categories that the players get scored in and then it all comes out to basically a, a grade on a hundred point scale uh yeah and I, I think i think it's what you mentioned that you know obviously there's no substitute for talent mm-hmm. uh everybody wants talent michigan needs more talent i don't think anybody would argue with that you can never have too much uh but if if all you're doing is just trying to get the most talented players especially now with the transfer portal and yeah. the amount of player movement that we see uh, in in college football, if you expend the resources to recruit a, a five-star player who's got 75 other offers, you know that's at least one other player you're not recruiting because you're devoting that time, you know, to, to recruiting this this five star prospect, uh, you know, and, and maybe it's even more than that because you yeah. know just of the you know the amount of legwork that has to go into recruiting players when they're at that level. Um, so you know if if you expend all this this energy on recruiting a five star player 
who is going to transfer after a year because he's not going to like it or he's right. not going to be a good fit for the program uh, or he's not going to play as much as he wants to his freshman year or, or whatever it is. Well, you know, it's great that you got that talent and it, you know, it helps the recruiting rankings uh, and it looks good on paper, but it's not helping you on the field. Uh, yeah, and no. if you take that time to recruit maybe a couple other guys who are four-star players who are good enough to play for your school, who might take a year or two to develop, but are going to be good, solid, multi-year starters, you know, you'd probably rather have that. You'd definitely yes. rather have that than a five-star player who transfers after a year. Now, the guy you'd really like to have is the five-star player who shows up and and lives up to the hype, right? Right. And if yeah. you want to win championships, you got to have some of those too. Uh, but there is a balance in there in terms of recruiting the most talented players and also recruiting the guys who have the best chance to actually stick with your program. Yeah, because you know your biggest resource, of course, is your time, and you're, you're wasting. You know, it's time wasted when a guy. Yeah, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. When a guy you spent two years recruiting leaves after a year. I mean, it's just like it's 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 not working out in your favor, and the only way you know teams can sort of overcome attrition because the old line is well, it happens everywhere. So it's not just it's not a problem here. It happens everywhere. Attrition is absolutely a problem, even if it does happen everywhere. The only way to really just make it not a factor is if you're signing, um, you know, six five stars every year and the right. top th- two or three class every single season, and it won't matter. Um, but you know, that's not what's happening here. And as we kind of discussed, you know, early on, 16 and 17 were his first two big cycles here at Michigan. They were the first full, the 15 class was a transition class back when the old signing rules were in effect. He couldn't recruit until like January 15th or 10th or something. And he had like three weeks to put the class together and it was just rushed and there wasn't much room anyway. And it was a wash. Um, The next class and then the 17 class were his biggest ones. And they were able to get into conversations with, a lot of top 50 players, uh, and they got a number of guys, not a ton, but they got some. And um, when you don't follow those up with wins and championships, your opportunities to get back in the door with those players just vanish. And their recruiting profile in terms of that has dipped significantly in that in that time. Um, but at the same time, I think it's interesting that they've at the same time, try to counter that with, well, we need to make sure we're getting guys who who fit in here, who we think are good players, and we can develop them. But we we have to be able to rely on a guy for more than a year and a half. We you know we we've got to be able to slow some of this down. Um, you're never going to be able to get rid of all of it, and that's just part of life. And I don't even think it's a bad thing. I I mean, uh, people make make decisions, and sometimes you know a year comes by and they say I want to do something else. I mean, that's just how this works. Um, but you have to you have to try to slow some of that, and I think that this, you know, for him to go and present that to a coach's clinic, the Fitz, I mean, I, that's that's pretty notable, and I think that that's a pretty big factor. And and as you wrote today, also, I mean, everything they're doing, I think that's a pretty big, a pretty big part of the equation. What did he say? It was fifty fifty. Your film is half, and the, and then, and then yep. the score is the other half. And if we if you we don't like your score, we're not taking you. And um, that's hard to do sometimes, and maybe there are exceptions to the rule. That's <laughs> every time, but but you know, I think yeah. that's a pretty good baseline to have to, to be working with. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see how this 2020 class pans out. Uh, what the hit rate is, uh, and if if check if back in four years, as, everyone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if these guys fit as well as it looks on paper, uh, that's uh, stuff we will all uh, find out starting, I guess, in March with spring ball. Uh, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna change things up a little bit uh, on the podcast here in the off season since it is gonna get pretty slow around here for the next few months. Uh, we will still be podcasting periodically uh, mm-hmm. as needed throughout the off season. So I'm sure we will be back to uh, talk to you during spring ball. Uh, if there's any news on the Michigan beat, certainly we will be here to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, but we're going to uh, slow things down a little bit and uh, catch our breath because everybody needs to do that as well. Yeah. So uh, check back periodically for, uh, for Nick and I uh, here on the RPM podcast. Uh, enjoy the off season. We will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. I see